we've tasted a little bit of heaven tonight as we worshiped and praised you. There was, there was just a moment we broke through, and one of these days soon we're going to break through. We're going to touch the glory of God. It's going to touch our hearts, and we will never be the same. And Lord, the same thing happens through your word, the powerful word of God. Lord, you did something in my heart last night. You, you shared something of your own heart that so impacted me. And oh God, I hope somehow, I pray that you help bring it out. Lord, it's not eloquent, it's simple. But I pray, Lord Jesus, you help us to understand something of your pain that will change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Give me a little more monitor, just enough, please, so I won't have to scream so loud. I'm like, I'm like Brother Carter, I preach loud. The pain of God. Now, folks, please, don't ever, ever think of God as some cold, unfeeling father. Our God feels. The Bible said he's moved upon. The Bible said he's touchable. He's touched with the very feelings of our infirmities. The Bible said he grieves. He feels pain. Remember Jesus weeping at Lazarus' tomb? Remember, this was God in flesh. If you want to know if God weeps, Jesus was God in flesh, and he wept. That was a revelation of the very heart of God, because Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That was God crying. God was weeping over the unthinkable unbelief of those who were closest to his heart. His dearest loved ones doubted his power, doubted his Godhead. And you catch a, a glimpse of God's pain very clearly in the Garden of Gethsemane. <clears throat> Just hours before they're about to deliver him to the high priest. And they're going to spit on him. They're going to mock him. They're going to ridicule him. They're going to make him the song of drunkards. And his disciples are with him and he comes and they're sleeping. He said, can't you even watch with me one hour? It was God's pain. Jesus wept tears of blood. He wept so profusely and so feelingly that there were, there were, there was blood mixed with his tears. Have you ever wondered why he was weeping? Have you ever wondered what caused such pain in his heart? It was not the pain of the cross. It was not, uh, his own feeling or re wanting to reject. That wasn't the cup at all. He's looking down all through eternity. He's, I mean, he's looking down through mankind to the very second coming when we come again. He's looking at all of those who would have a free offer of salvation. He's looking at those who could have his favor, his blessing, his unction, his anointing. And Jesus is looking down over time and he sees the unthinkable. He sees multitudes and multitudes are going to reject him. And he's seeing their pain and their suffering He's weeping over the pain and the suffering of mankind who would choose to reject him and reject his free offer of full, complete salvation. It's not that he's saying, I will get even with you if you reject me. You'll have a payday coming. I'll get even with you for rejecting me. I shed my blood. I went through this pain. You reject me. I'll get even with you on the judgment day. That's not why he's weeping. The pain of God in the Garden of Gethsemane is the multiplied, incredible heap of pain and misery that man will heap upon himself 
because he rejects this free offer. This is the pain of God, the pain of mankind that he is bringing upon himself. This sin alone was not what was laid upon him at the cross. It was the pain of the whole world, pain of mankind, the pain that's going on in New York City right now, up and down our streets of people nervous and having depression and, and drug addicts and alcoholics who sit right outside the door here and have a gospel freely preached to them. And they reject it. It was that, that massive pain of all humanity of all time that he was picturing in his, his God eyes, able to foresee all of this pain and suffering heaped upon him at that moment. It was the pain, your pain and my pain when we reject him. That was the pain of God. He said, could you not watch with me for one hour? And you know why he said that I believe with all my heart? He's not rebuking them. He knows their flesh. He knows they're weak. But he knows where the weakness of the flesh. He said, your flesh is weak, but your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. But he, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that it was going to bring Peter to a denial. He knew it was going to cause uh, Jude, or, or cause all the pain and suffering of these men who would finally reject him and they go back to fishing. And he knew the emptiness and the pain. He could see Peter running over the hills weeping. said, how could I have done such a thing? How could have I denied him? Jesus foresaw all of that and his pain. It was, if you don't watch with me, you've not prepared yourself. And it was this consequent pain that they're going to bring upon the suffering that they were going to bring upon themselves that was bringing pain to his heart. He, he said, it's not that Jesus says, I need a pal during my trying times. He's God. Not that I need just somebody to stand and encourage me. There is some pathos in his voice, but more than that, it's the pain that God is feeling because he knows what they're going to put themselves through because they are lazy, they are not awake, and he knows that that apostasy in their heart, that laziness of the flesh, because they won't get a hold of themselves and gird themselves up, they won't be prepared for what's coming. And that's the pain of his heart. Don't think for one minute that he didn't grieve over Judas. There's nothing in his heart and said, old devil, go do your work. He said, yes, go, Judas, and do it. You can't tell me that Jesus wasn't weeping when he walked out. You can't tell me that Jesus didn't know as God. He saw him in his God eyes throwing those 30 pieces of silver on the ground and saying, I've denied and been a traitor to the living God. He saw him go out and commit suicide. Do you think that didn't pain the master's heart? This is God. He was pained. He was broken. There was none of that. Get out of my sight. You're going to deny me. No, there was none of that in the heart of Jesus. He saw Peter going to deny him, curse him, weep. You're going to see all his disciples forsake him and flee. And they're going to go back to fishing. You see all of that kind of rejection. Every time we sin against God and every time we're disobedient, God's justice demands by this living word that he chastens, that he judges. And I want to tell you something, friend, and this is what God showed me last night and it broke my heart. God takes no pleasure in meeting out justice. God's most awful, horrible work is to chasten his own children, to bring judgment upon those who break his laws. God's justice has to be his greatest source of pain. Scripture says, have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die? He said, do you think I get pleasure 
When these people die, even the most wicked die in their sins, you think I get pleasure? Saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? He said, I get no pleasure in the death and the downfall of the wicked. The Lord has no pleasure, had no pleasure in the death of Judas. He gets no pleasure in the destruction of drug pushers and abortion doctors and even murders. No pleasure, no pleasure that the wicked should die in their sins. How different we are when we see the justice of God come on some wicked sinners. We, we, we just wring our hands and say, oh, thank God you dealt with it. There's none of the feeling of God's pain. You say, Brother Dave, doesn't Proverbs 126 say, but God will laugh at the calamity, at their calamity. He will mock those who refused his counsel. No, folks, that's not what it says. In fact, if you'll turn to Proverbs 1, let me show you something. That is not God speaking. That's wisdom speaking. I have preached that and quoted it. But I want you to look at it again, if you will, please. First chapter of Proverbs. Verse 23. Or verse 24. Because I've called and you refused, I've stretched out my hand and no man regardeth. But you've said it, not all my counsel would, would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. Now, folks... Look at me, please. God has just told us he gets no pleasure. He cannot laugh at the destruction of the wicked. He cannot mock those who have been destroyed by their sins. Look at verse 20. Wisdom crieth without. She uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief place of the concourse and the openings of the gates in the city. She uttereth her words saying, how long ye simple one. This is wisdom crying, a fixed principle of God. You know, that wisdom is crying on the streets right out here. Go, go out to the, to, to the stop sign out here after church when it's a red light and just promiscuously. You see, the wisdom says stop. It's a fixed principle. Stop. There's a law involved. And you you say forget it and you walk out there and a car hits you and you're laying on the street. I'm going to tell you something. That street light's mocking you. It's laughing at you. It's a fixed principle. It, it's wisdom itself. Those who should be hearing the voice of God who are mocking that wisdom on the judgment day. The wisdom itself is going to cry out from the streets. It's going to cry out how foolish you've been. This is not God mocking the sinner. You see another picture of God's pain when Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. Go to Luke 19 with me, if you will, please. Luke 19. Let's start at verse 41. Luke 19, verse 41, beginning to read, And when he was come near... He beheld the city and he wept over it. Now, who's weeping? God is weeping. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is God weeping. God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world. Verse 41, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace... 
but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast the trench about thee and compass thee about and keep thee in, in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave in, leave in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Now look at me, please. Jesus is not standing on a soapbox pointing his finger and screaming, one day, army, Titus will be in here. He will kill your wives, kill your children. No, he's weeping. God is weeping in his, God, through Jesus Christ, is, is seeing this scene. This is going to be some uh, 40 years later when Titus' army comes in and rapes Jerusalem, destroys the temple, and nobody, I, I mean, it, it's a holocaust beyond all holocaust. And the Lord sees that. And he's weeping over the city of Jerusalem. And folks, the next verse is tied into the pain of God because in the very next verse, and it gives you the reason for all of this pain, and he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. Folks, look at him with the, the whip, and he's snapping that whip. I don't believe that whip fell on the back of any priest or anyone in that place. I believe it came down on the tables. I believe it came down on the carts. I believe he snapped it in the wind. The holy zeal of God was upon him. But he was not angry at those priests. He was looking at the very thing that was going to bring the enemy armies. He was looking at the very cause of the apostasy. That they had turned the temple of God into a place of robbers and thieves. And he says, this Wake up, this is what's going to bring judgment. And he was feeling the pain. He was listening to the cries of all the women that were going to have a, a, a knife put through their bellies. He was hearing all the screams of the children when Titus' army came. He was grieving as he saw stone after stone coming down from the temple. He saw it all. He says, here you are, money changers. You've turned it into a den of thieves. Don't you understand? This is what's going to bring the judgment. And he was trying to deal with the cause of the judgment. It was mercy crying out against justice. Do you think there, for one minute there weren't tears in his eyes? I see some people thinking Jesus is grunting and groaning. I see him wiping tears as he snaps his whip. Because God is in pain over his chosen people he loved and his beloved city. He's in pain because they're going to be destroyed. God's in pain. I want you to get another glimpse of his pain in Exodus 32, please. Exodus 32, verse 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They've turned themselves quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They've made them a molten calf. They've worshipped it. They've sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said unto Moses, I've seen this people, and behold, it's stiff-necked. It's stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why did thy wrath wax hot against this, thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power, with a mighty hand? 
Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn thy fierce wrath, repent of this evil against this people. Verse 14, And the Lord repented of the evil that he thought to do among his people. Now look this way, please. Don't for a minute attribute more grace and mercy to Moses than to God. It's, if you look at that at the surface, it say, well, well, God, Moses is pleading from a plateau of great mercy and God's ready to destroy. And here's Moses pleading, trying to save his people. There's only one reason that Moses could pray like he did, because he knew God's heart. He knew it. He couldn't pray like that. You know what Moses knew? He's, he's saying, God, I know that your justice is crying out. You have to proclaim your justice. Justice demands that this stiff-necked people be wiped out. Well, right. Justice demands it. God, I know that, but I know something else about it. Lord, you can't stand their pain if you did it. You may destroy 10 or 12,000, but the more destroy, the more pain you have. I don't think, and he said, I know your heart, God. I know you can't destroy them because you love this people. You will not destroy. He knew God's heart. There's no way. When the Bible says the Lord repented, means he changed his mind. Justice said, destroy them. This people will never repent. These people are like that. And even though they never did repent, God, God must keep his word, folks. He will keep this word. This word will not return to him void. We would have nothing to stand on if he didn't keep his word, if he didn't judge sin, if he didn't judge rebellion. We couldn't be here. We couldn't trust his word. His word's eternal. And you reap what you sow. They're going to, they're going to waste away in the wilderness. God's not going to destroy them. He still loves them because for 38 years they're going to still go on grieving him and causing his heart pain, but he's still going to protect them. He's still going to have, they're going to have the, the fire by night and the cloud by day. He's going to clothe them. He's going to feed them, going to water them, going to take care of their enemies all through to their dying day because of the pain. But can you imagine the pain of his heart at their unbelief? All those years. I've told you that I believe it pains God to mete out justice upon his children. He must chasten those he loves, the Bible said. He's got to chasten us. But I want you to know it's painful to God when he chastens us. I was praying about it this afternoon and I, I felt when I was thinking of Job going through what he went through, how it pained the heart of God. I wonder how many times God said, that's enough. I wonder how many times he made a step and said, I'm going to stop this now. I can't stand his pain. I can't let it go on anymore. You think Job suffered. You don't know suffering till you know how God suffered through this with his man. How many times did God say, Job, make it. I'll tie it back to you. And then he can't move and he sees more suffering. God, uh, uh, Job, hold steady. I'll crease you a time and a half. Finance always, I'll double it, Job. I'll give you twice. His heart pained all through that experience with Job. 
I, I just I can't help thinking that God a number of times must have just about said, that's enough. I can't handle it anymore. Job may, but I can't. Go to First Chronicles, show you another picture. First Chronicles 21. Do you remember when David numbered the people? Oh, what a picture of the heart of God's pain, God's painful heart. Let's start verse 9. See, God's displeased with what David did numbering the people because he's taken pride in the number of men in his army. God, David said unto to God, I've sinned greatly because I've done this thing, but now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. The Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. God's saying, David, I'm going to have to chasten you, and I'm going to let you choose the chastening. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee, either three years' famine, or three months to be destroyed by your foes, while that the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, the pestilence in the land, the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel. Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I'm in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very greater is mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel 70,000 men. And God sent an angel into Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It's enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. And David and the elders of Israel who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. Look at verse 27. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again into the sheath thereof. All folks, look at me. This is one of the most incredible pictures of God's heart of pain when he has to chasten his children, when they have grieved him and his justice demands a chastening. And, and David now is on his face, listening to the reports coming in, one messenger probably says, 10,000 dead in Hebron, David. Half hour later, reports 5,000 dead in Benjamin. Someone else comes, 6,000 dead in Judah. He hears these reports. He'd been proud of his armies, counting his numbers. Now he's 70,000 less men. God's striking right at the heart of his pride. God's trying to save this man. Because pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall, and David is trying, is about to destroy himself. Not in adultery, but in pride. And God said, no, I'll not let David be given over to the enemy. And David, you remember, has thrown himself into the hands of God. He said, don't let me fall in the hands of man. Hope that should always be our prayer. God, if you're going to chasten me, don't let me be chastened by men. You chasten me, Lord. 70,000 are dead. The angel has gone up and down the land, striking left and right. And now the 
death angel with his drawn sword is standing over Jerusalem. And David and his elders are on their face weeping before God. Total repentance. And that angel's about to strike. I don't know many, I don't know if the angel was gonna, if it was gonna strike out right at the heart of the pride. Could have gone right through David's, uh, mighty men. All the mighty men of David could have been slain. David had mighty men. What a, a host of mighty men he had. The angel's standing there with a the sword ready to move. And God looks at his man. He looks at David, his servant. And God is saying, if I go another step, I'm not going to be able to stand the pain of David. He's going to break his heart. He'll die with a broken heart because he's crying, oh God, it's my fault. All these people are guiltless. Put it on me. The angel's about to strike and God raises his hand. Enough! Stop! Put your sword up! God's saying, it's too painful for me. No more. No more. That's the heart of God. He's not gloating. God is not standing there saying, well, have you learned your lesson yet? When will you ever learn, David? David's tears, David's crying, his groaning has breached God's heart. He, he is feeling David's pain. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. God said, enough. God showed me last night just a glimpse of his pain when he has to chasten us and judge us for the sins that we've committed. And it's a double pain that we cause him. We, first of all, sin right in his presence. And it's not just the sin itself that grieves him. I used to think it was the sin that I did in his face that really grieved his heart and caused him pain. But I don't see it after last night. The Lord was saying, no, David, let me tell you, when you sin against me in my presence... Let me tell you where my pain is. My pain is I know what it's going to do to you. I know how you're going to grieve. I know the consequences of your sin. And I know how you're going to cry. And you're going to be in misery. And you're going to bring pain to my heart because I love you. And then the double pain is the pain that comes when he has to mete out his justice. And he has to chasten, and he has to stand like a loving father, like I've had to do with my four children when I would spank them and bring the rod to them and to hear their cry and their groaning and know I had to do it to produce character in them. And yet, when I said, this hurts me worse than it hurts you, I meant it. I came to a crisis last night because I came to the end of my rope, so to speak, because I'd heard so much slander against myself and Brent's brother Carter. Awful slander. Just incredible. I couldn't believe people could say things like they say. And I was hurting so bad. And in my despair, I cried out, Oh God, how long are you going to let this go on? God, I can't even fight it. It keeps changing. I don't even know what they're talking about. 
And I said, God, doesn't your word say that you would avenge God? And I started quoting all these scriptures. A false witness shall not be unpunished. He that speaketh lies shall perish. Here it says, Proverbs 17, 4, a liar, only a liar gives ear to a gossiping tongue. Only a liar gives ear to it. I, I quoted Proverbs 13, 11, 13, because it had these all underlined. A tellbearer reveals secrets, but he that's faithful conceals the matter. I quoted, whosoever's hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness shall be shown before the whole congregation. And I began to think of the slander against me and slander against people in the church who on your job you're slandered and pastors all over the country and, and all the slander and all the gossip and all the people that, that are going through trials, horrible, awful trials. And they cry out, oh God, just like the martyrs, when do you bring justice, Lord? Your, your word says what you will do, God. When do you stop it? How long does this nightmare go on? That God said to me, David, I am merciful and long-suffering and slow to anger because it pains me so much to mete out justice. He said, if you knew how painful it was to me, if you knew how painful it is for me to chasten even your enemies who've made themselves your enemies to chasten them, if you knew how painful that is to me, it would be the last thing you would ever want or desire. God showed me then a vision of some of the frightful judgments that come upon all of us. This word is true. What he said is going to happen. He showed me a picture of what's coming. And I began to cry and scream at God. Don't do it. Lord, you don't have to take vengeance for me. You don't have to do this to anybody. And I began to, oh God, no. No, because I was feeling his pain. He let me for about 15 minutes feel his pain if he had to move against any of my enemies. He was, I was feeling the pain. He said, if you could feel that pain, you would never, never desire it. You wouldn't want it because of the pain. I love my children, even those who are disobedient. I have this eternal love in my heart. Can't you see, David, how painful it is? How painful is it for you to do it for your children, your grandchildren? That's the same for me. You still love them, though they're disobedient. It's a painful thing to mete out justice and judgment and chastening. And then he let me feel all the pain I had caused him when he chastened me over the years. I remember four or five instances when I was under the chastening of the Lord in my past 30, 40 years. And sometimes very heavy chastening. And I, I would say, oh God, when, when he was chasing me, I said, oh God, this is painful. This hurts. This is so, this is so awful. Oh God, when you will end it. I could feel his chastening hand. I'd feel his rod on my back. And then when he'd bring me out of it, I'd say, oh God, I don't ever want to go through anything like that again. And God says, neither do I. Neither do I. Because you thought of all your pain and how it hurts you. He said, it hurt me much more. All the times I chastened you, all those times I did it unwillingly, 
It was a grief to my heart. I took no pleasure in having to whip you. I took no pleasure in chastening you. It was a grief. No chastening for the present seems joyous but grievous. He's talking about his own heart. God helped the Christian who rejoices in the chastening of the Lord upon any other believer. Especially if that one has made themselves your enemy. Proverbs 24, 17. Rejoice not when your enemy falls, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbles. Folks, not only must you not rejoice when any of your enemies are under chastening or judgment, but you have to feel God's pain when they're under it. Because if you're rejoicing, you're rejoicing in the face of a master who's weeping while he's whipping. And you are rejoicing before a heartbroken Christ. When we see his pain, Because he loves us so dearly. Folks, if he loves the most wicked, vile sinner on the street, he still loves your Christian enemies. He loves them dearly. Yes, the day comes he has to chasten. And his justice will be done. But, oh God, when it happens, no... Such thing as I told you so. No such thing as, well, they deserved it. They got what the Lord said would come. No, it's picturing the Lord having to do his most hurting, grievous work. He finally has to make a move and say, that's enough. And he has to do something. And when he does, it's awful. It's painful. And he does it so reluctantly as the last step. And I'll tell you, when he comes to judge anybody, every, any one of his children, when he comes to judge, he hovers over them every second because as he keeps bringing the lash after lash, he waits to see if that last lash brings one tear. If he sees the first sign, he begins to let up. If there's a first sign of repentance, he hovers over those that he chastens. He hovers over them looking for the first sign of repentance. And when there is repentance and there's a cry, God moves in, said enough, put up your sword. Hallelujah. You know the hard part? You can hear that at night, like I did last night, and weep and cry and groan over your own self-centeredness. You can groan over your lack of compassion. You can groan because you haven't seen a vision of his heart checked, and then you suddenly see it. You can groan and cry because you never knew it. And then... You wake up in the morning and you think of all the things that are said and done and that creeps back in. That will keep back in. You have to wake up every morning and deal with this matter of God's pain. You have to chasten yourself. You have to bring your thoughts into captivity. Say, oh God, now let me pray. The Bible said, if your if you're enemy hungers, feed him. He's thirsty, give him drink. You minister. 
you pray. Pray for those who entreat you with evil. Pray for them. Love them. Do you get an idea as I do how far we are from the heart of God? Come on now. Don't you think we have a lot to learn yet about his heart? Will you stand? Hallelujah. I have rather strange altar call. If you're here tonight and you've had a feeling that God's angry at you, you failed him. And he's angry at you. And that he's going to bring his rod down on your back. Let me tell you something. That's the last thing he wants to do. That's the last thing he wants to do. He'll have me stand in front of you right now, look you in the face, and take over my voice and say to you from his own heart, come and be healed. Come and be delivered. Come and receive my grace. Come and receive my love and be delivered and set free. If you have any bitterness in your heart, if you have any rebellion toward God, if you have a feeling that God is against you, and you're, you just haven't been able to touch his love, you have a sense that God's just not pleased with you, I want you to come tonight and let him embrace you and let him show you a revelation of his love. And if you're here tonight also and, and you, you have been angry at God or you've been peeved at God because you don't think he's acting fast enough on your behalf, do you think you've taken too much? Come on and settle and say, God, you do it your way and you do it in your time. I'm just going to Stay close to you. Up in the balcony, go to go down the stairs on either side. Come down any aisle. As we sing, open up your heart. The Holy Spirit's talking to you. Come. Message touched you tonight. There's something about it. God's dealing with you. Come for prayer. And we'll believe Jesus for your healing. Judgment and chastening is God's hardest work that he delights not in. What is it that God delights in? And let me read it to you. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. For he retaineth not his anger forever, because he delights in mercy. He delights. That's the joy of his heart. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Thou will perform the truth to Jacob, the mercy of Abraham, as thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. God said, I delight in mercy. That's what brings joy to my heart. And it joys his heart right now when you come to him to receive his mercy and forgiveness and grace. And the Lord says, I delight in this. And I'm going to take your sins and cast them in the sea and forget all about them. Never to be remembered against you again. If you'll forsake them, confess them, forsake them, and lay them at his feet. I want everybody to came forward, raise both hands. Raise both hands. First of all, tell Jesus how you love him right out of your heart. Tell him how you need him. In your own words, tell him you need him. Tell him you're coming to him with open arms. Tell him that your heart's ready to receive him. Come on, talk to him right now. Lord, here I am. I'm ready. I want to lay everything down. I need your help. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Lord, I need your forgiveness. Talk to him right now, right out loud. I want everybody up here to talk to him right out loud. Lord, here I am. 
I come to surrender. I come to your grace. I come to the blood, the blood of the Lamb that redeems me from all iniquity. I come to your mercy in which you delight. Hallelujah. Lord, you're not out to judge me. You're not my judge now. You're my Savior. You're my Savior. Hallelujah. Come to you now for a cleansing, for healing of my body, soul, and spirit. I love you, Jesus. I know you love me. I know you hurt over me. And I know I've caused you pain. But I know you have mercy toward me. Forgive me and cleanse me and deliver me from all my fears. Now just thank him in your own words, Lord. I thank you. I thank you, Jesus. I give you thanks. I give you praise. Hallelujah. This is the conclusion of the message.